Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, that faithful teaching, giant Bible study, if you will, of what contains what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess in accordance with Scripture. And so that is how we gather together to be of that one mind of Christ. And to do that, we have our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, who's the social media manager uh, for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We also have Pastor Timothy Apple, who is the pastor at Grace in Smithville, Texas, Pastor Peter Ill, who is the pastor of Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois, and myself as host, Pastor Sean Smith, and I am the pastor of Emmanuel in St. Paul's Dual Parish in Southern Illinois. Uh, this this is going to be bad radio here, but when when do we ever have good radio on this show? Maybe, <laughs> but uh, I, I we're we're all kind of coming from different locations today, and so we kind of need to check in and make sure that we're all here and working. Um, uh, we're we're kind of all in our offices due to some bridge issues over the Mississippi and things like that. So, uh, uh, brothers, are y'all there? Yes. This yes. is Peter All checking right, well, in. We, we got Peter Slayton, Layman Slayton. He's in studio. All right, so we got him. Is, is Pastor Ill with us and Pastor Apple? I'm here. It's I'm great Pastor. to be here, like always. All right, I hear Apple. Pastor Ill. I, I, I think maybe I hear Pastor Apple. Pastor, Pastor I, Apple I, hasn't. Can you hear Pastor Apple? I can hear very him. Very faintly. Oh, good. Very faintly. <laughs> okay. I have no bridge issues it, here. Yeah, you're, you're just Texas. a long way away in Texas. But you, you it's have good to be in Texas. It's, it's a bridge of a different kind. All right. <laughs> well, we'll ch- attempt to bridge that gap with uh, modern technology. There we All go. Right. There it yeah, is. Nicely it. done. Excellent. But uh, getting back to the show then, so today we're, we're digging in. We, we've been, I, I said that, you know, the show, we go through the, the Book of Concord and, and seek to confess our faith. And, and today we have prevent, potentially a very provocative episode as uh, we, we're going to be taking a look at um, an article that is in the Small Called Articles written by Martin Luther himself. And we've been working our way through that. And it's Article 4 in Part 2 of the Papacy. And, and there's some uh, very provocative words in here uh, that uh, have caused a lot of debate, especially around 2006 or so. Uh, there, was, there was a big debate where a U.S. senator left the Lutheran Church, although it was the Wisconsin Senate um, that she belonged to, uh, over words that are contained in here about what we say about the office of the papacy, that, that is the Pope, and, uh, and has caused a lot of trouble for Lutherans. And so we, we definitely want to dig into what the, the essential content is of this article. Uh, that we may teach that faithfully, but then also why these words, uh, harsh as they may sound, are actually uh, accurate charges, and we, and we really just want to 
have right and good understanding of this so that we would know why we confess these things. So uh, before we dig into the article and, and read our way through it here, uh, brothers, any uh, notes that you would like to make in setting up this article uh, other than the potential provocative nature that I've already set up? Well, we, we've got that issue, but we're also going to have the issue of what is the, the Antichrist also, because we have what the confessions, how, how the confessions define it, which is how Scripture defines it. But then we also have uh, some very weird ideas about the Antichrist itself um, in pop American evangelicalism, I guess you could say, um, kind of starting back a couple hundred years ago, some very interesting ideas. So um, we might spend some time talking about that, too. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And, and, and also we'll talk about how, uh, other than the fact that, uh, you know, the, the office of the Pope is still around today, um, and, and a lot of the things that are said here still apply to, to what is said there, um, we'll also talk about how is this maybe even present in church bodies where we don't have a Pope. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll be digging into that too. Um, which I don't know, maybe connected with what you're saying there, Layman Slayton, too, about that. Uh, yeah, it can uh, be. Yeah, yep. certainly. All right. Uh, hearing none of the others chiming in, I will go ahead and begin us then with uh, Article 4 and Part 2 of the Small Called Articles of the Papacy. And uh, I'll begin by reading the editor's note here, which also does a really good job of kind of setting up what we're going to cover here. So this is the editor's note. This article contains the most vigorous rejection of the papacy in the Book of Concord. Luther flatly asserts that the Pope is truly the Antichrist a statement that may sound outrageous to most modern ears. The Bishop of Rome is no more than a pastor of God's people in Rome, and of all those who voluntarily attach themselves to him, he is nothing more than this. The institution of the papacy developed on the basis of false claims to an authority that Christ had never bestowed. Luther points out how the papacy, as it existed in his time, did not exist for nearly 500 years in the West and never was received by the Eastern Church or the Greek Church. Luther's harsh words about the papacy are motivated by his passion for the chief article of the Christian faith, salvation by God's grace alone through faith alone account of Christ alone. The Roman papacy in Luther's day was enraged not only or I'm sorry, not enraged, engaged not only in spiritual warfare against the truth of the scripture regarding Christ, but it also took up arms to kill and destroy those who adhered faithfully to the article of justification. Today, the papacy continues to insist that salvation is not by grace alone through faith alone, and thus continues to set itself against the central teaching of the Christian faith. Melanchthon has much more to say about this point in the Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope, uh, which is a later document here in the Book of Concord that we will cover. I, I think that does just an excellent job. As, as these editors notes, and, and again, I'm reading this from the uh, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the uh, reader's edition of the Book of Concord available through CPH, and I really like the editor's notes um, throughout this Book of Concord that, that really uh, helps set this up and understand kind of providing a map of where we're going in this. And so that, that kind of sets that up for us. And... Um, uh, it, it, and again, it, it highlights in here, I just lost it. Um, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll come back to it. There was a point I wanted to make on this, but I, I lost it. Sorry. You'll remember right. it. We'll get back yeah, to it. Don't I will. worry. It, it, it definitely comes up in, in the article itself. So, uh, let's go ahead and dig in then to the article itself. This is paragraph one. 
The Pope is not, according to divine law or God's word, the head of all Christendom. This name belongs to one only, whose name is Jesus Christ. The Pope is only the bishop and pastor of the church at Rome, and of those who have attached themselves to him voluntarily or through a human agency, such as a political order. Christians are not under him as a lord. They are with him as brethren and companions, as the ancient councils and the age of St. Cyprian show. Today, though, none of the bishops dare to address the Pope as brother, as was done in the time of Cyprian. Even kings or emperors have to call him most gracious lord. We will not, cannot, and must not approve this arrogance with a good conscience. Whoever wants to can do so, can do it without us. It follows that all the Pope has done and undertaken from such false, mischievous, blasphemous, and arrogant power are devilish affairs and transactions, with the exception of what relates to the secular government, where God often allows much good to be done for a people, even through a tyrant and scoundrel. The Pope does this all for the ruin of the entire Holy Christian Church, so far as it is in his power, and for the destruction of the chief article about the redemption made through Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pause there. And actually, that, that calls to mind the point I was going to make. Of uh, We've connected the last several things that we've covered here in the small called articles with uh, you know the chapters and cloisters, the article 2 on the Mass, uh, especially with the invocation of saints, and how all of these things all relate back to that first article here in the second part, that chief article being the 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 article of justification how this all relates to what christ has accomplished for us in the gospel and so uh i'll go ahead and throw it to pastor apple here how how does this and, and what we just read there especially right as it ended there you know talking about that chief article about the redemption made through jesus christ how how does this relate back to the point that luther has been making here flowing forth from that article uh on on justification as, as we're going to see here in a, a few minutes when we keep reading um, concerning the, the papacy, the, the Pope sets himself up as a, another mediator, um, someone who ends up taking the place of Christ. And, and so Luther's concern with that then does stem from what he says concerning the chief article, that salvation comes not because of anything that we have done or any other person can do other than Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection that, that we receive as a the gift by faith. And so Luther draws this article back to that chief article, as he, he's done in the past as well, you know, as, as a way to, to show why this is important. Um, this isn't some kind of a personal vendetta that Luther has with the Pope or with the Roman Catholic Church, say, for, for excommunicating him or for making his life horrible or something like that. It's, it's not about any grievances that, that he has personally. Luther is concerned, and, and the entire church should be concerned with preserving this chief article of, of where our salvation comes from. It comes from Christ alone, and it's only by his grace that we receive it through faith. So that he's keeping the central thing the central thing, and, and that's why this article about the papacy is even in there. And that's, it's just a good reminder for us as, as well still today that when we confess the truth— we're not doing it for any other reason other than to, to share that good news that Christ has died and risen for us sinners. Thanks be to God. That is well said. Um, Pastor uh, Ill, I want to bring you in at this point as well. You, you have a point to make here. I, I probably have a couple. Um, as means Pastor Apple so. was, yay! As, as Pastor Apple was saying, this is most certainly Christ's church. But we also recognize that here... Uh, the Pope is regarded as a Christian, 
And uh, we don't talk about the, the Pope or our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Roman Catholic Church as being not Christian. Every once in a while, somebody will be talking with me, and, uh, and they'll talk about somebody who's a Roman Catholic, and then say, but maybe someday they'll become a Christian. And, and I have a really hard time with that statement. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Roman Catholic Church believe in Jesus. They are Christians. And at this point, even as we regard the papacy as... Uh, as the Antichrist and as coming up against uh, what Christ has commanded in his church, we don't say that uh, that he or the Roman Catholic Church as a whole is not Christian. And I think that's something that we need to, uh, I think that's something we need to keep remembering. I think that's an important point you bring up there, too. Um, a lot of times, you know, uh, I, I've heard it said, especially in Lutheran circles, especially LCMS circles, this kind of thing, although ironically I usually hear it said by LCMS folks, that we kind of have this idea that Lutherans are going to be the only ones in heaven, right? And and that that's not what we're saying at all here. We're not, we're not saying that there aren't true Christians or true believers um, in the Roman Catholic Church or any other denomination, for that matter, as we, as we point out areas of disagreement, especially in confessing what Scripture surely teaches us. And so we're not making that point. We're not saying that we're going to be the only ones in heaven, although the irony is, is as we dig deeper into this article, and as we'll see pretty shortly, if we actually take the, the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church rightly and what the popes have surely said themselves, <clears throat> then they would say that they are going to be the only ones in heaven. And so uh, I think it's kind of funny that, you know, that often gets thrown at us Lutherans as we tend to think that, but that's not actually what we teach. That's never what we say. I've never known anyone who actually believes that. Um, we believe that there are true believers in Christ that can be found in any denomination. That's kind of a spurious kind of thing that happens when, because if you actually take the teachings of a church body rightly, uh, and that's kind of what this is all about as well, we're not saying that they're not Christians or there are, there are not Christians in the Roman Catholic Church, but if you take those teachings seriously, you're going to see that there are things that stand directly against Christ and his gospel, which we definitely want to hold as our only hope of entering into heaven and receiving salvation is, uh, you know, if we take those teachings seriously, then, then we're excluded um, on, on the basis of believing lies that, that lead us away from Christ instead of to Christ. And that's why it's so important for us. And that's why we use, you know, these, these um, you know, kind of jarring words, but, it, but it's a very serious matter. And so, uh, you know, again, not that we're saying that there's not Christians there, but uh, there, there is definitely these issues going on. Pastor Apple, you want to, or I'm sorry, I wanted to throw it to Layman Slayton. You want to jump in here? Good, because I have two things I want to say. All right, go ahead. <laughs> um, they both actually kind of follow up with what Pastor Ill was saying, um, and f in the same in that same vein, where although we have some very strong statements about who the Pope is that we're going to be talking about, we've just finished on one, and I want to comment on that as well. It, what's, what I find fascinating is that as Lutherans. Like you said, we would consider Catholics to be Christian or for there to be Christians within the Catholic Church. That's probably a better way of phrasing it. Um, and yet from my own background growing up, um, you know, American evangelical, non-denominational, sometimes Baptist, you know, ver various different things there. Especially in, in mission agencies, I grew up as a missionary kid with non-denominational mission agencies, and they would actually reject applicants on the 
sole basis of them being Roman Catholic because they would consider those individuals to not be Christian just by virtue of being Roman Catholic. And so we are the ones who have very strong statements in our confessional documents about the Pope and about the Roman Catholic Church, and yet we also will say, but there are Christians in those church bodies, other groups who seem very put off by what we would say about the Pope and the Catholic Church, at the same time will say, yes, but we won't accept you into our membership because there's no way you can actually be a Christian and be a Catholic at the same time. <laughs> Which that's, that's interesting. I never knew of that, actually. Yeah, yeah it's it's the, the, the different agencies that I grew up in. That was actually a requirement. It was it was a constant discussion of why don't we have Catholics? There's like a, you know, a billion Catholics in the world. Why can't they join our mission agencies? I know I have a friend who had to leave a non-denominational organization that he was with when he converted to Catholicism that required him to actually leave his job. And this is in the last two years that that particular event happened. Um, he converted to Roman Catholicism and had to leave his job at his non-denominational um, organization because they said, okay, you are now in conflict with our doctrinal position. Um, which is what I find... Uh, so for me, what one of the things that's helpful in this, especially in understanding these harsh things that we are saying about the Pope, particularly in this time, is this last sentence that you read uh Pastor Smith, the Pope does all this for the ruin of the entire Holy Christian Church, and so on. It's like, hold, okay, hold on. That is a really strong statement for the ruin of the entire Christian Church. And my first thought was, okay, I think if I'm going to properly unpack that, I need to remind myself, how do we define the Church? How does Scripture define the Church? And just going back to Article 7 of the Augsburg Confession is a great place to jump back. And right there, the first couple sentences, actually the second sentence, the church is the congregation of saints in which the gospel is purely taught and the sacraments are correctly administered. And I just, as we're talking through this episode and talking about the difficult things, the harsh things that we're going to have to say about the Pope, let's remember the church is the congregation of saints in which the gospel is purely taught and the sacraments are correctly administered. And like you said, Pastor Smith, at the beginning, this goes back to who is Christ? Who, what has he done for us? And it's in that context that we then talk about the Pope, and we can say what he's doing is for the destruction of the entire Christian church, because as we've already seen, everything that he's doing goes against those basic things of what the church is and who Christ is. And so that's kind of my ground, laying groundwork a little bit for as we move forward and talk here. I like the way you set that up, actually. You said that, you know, let, I mean, not actually as if you never do it well. You know, you always do. I, I really appreciate it. What a it, surprise! But, yeah, no, no it, it sounded to me like I, I was meaning it that way, and I wasn't no, that's fine. I'm not meaning it that way. <laughs> I'm but, not uh, offended you, you at all. Said, it's fun. But you said, let's, you know, let's unpack that. And I really like that idea here because, you know, what, what we're doing is we're making a rather strong claim here, uh, really throughout the throughout this article especially but but in all of the lutheran confessions we're making strong claims and if we're if we're going to make that claim 
or if we encounter that claim, I think we do well to investigate that, have it explained. What it, what is it we mean by this claim, and and can this claim be validated in any way? Uh, and if so, then then it's a true claim. And and you're right, that is a very strong claim that we're making there. That this is for the ruin of the entire Holy Christian Church. Wow. Okay. That that definitely needs to be investigated. Is it true? Is, is that a true statement? And uh, and and I think that's kind of where the rest of this article goes is unpacking that and and that's what we're definitely going to do on the show as we continue to work through this is investigating unpacking you know are these strong claims is that strong claim true um, does this really lead away from the gospel what the church is centered around and word and sacrament ministry as you rightly took us back to um, you know if, if we can validate that if, if we can unpack it and explain it as true then then it's not just a harsh you know being a jerk made statement kind of thing but an actual valid claim and so that, that that's a great way to frame this and, and what we're doing here uh, one of the, a couple of the other things that I wanted to highlight here before we move on um, and, and part of this is we have to explain what's going on. First, first that he referenced Cyprian here. Uh, we need a little bit of context as to, to who that is and why he would be referenced here. Um, you know, Luther can make that claim then, and I think most folks, especially the theologians that are operating in the document, uh, would, would know who that is and, and what that reference is to. But without a whole lot of reference to it, we may not understand in our present context. So we need to unpack that for a second. And then also he, he makes this other claim here here where uh, um, also there in paragraph two, it says, even kings and emperors have to call him most gracious Lord. And I'll, I'll real quickly unpack that one because I think we can briefly do it. Um, essentially, this is something we've pointed to on the show before that uh, the, the Roman um, Pope uh, at that time in the Middle Ages was not just a spiritual head of the church, but it, uh, th there was also this temporal, you know, kingdom rule that popes had, and, and that can certainly be cited by all sorts of examples. That even when you had emperors, which they had a holy Roman emperor at that time, um, there there was a way in which they were subject to the pope and had to do things in 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 agreement with the pope and uh, and seek his blessing on, um, and that was just kind of the real power that they had, and so. Um, you know, when he's making this point, he's saying, you know, this this is kind of a dangerous thing because he has secular power as well as spiritual power, and and none of this is really attributed to him in Scripture, uh, and so that that would just be the point I make there. Pastor Apple, I'll throw it to you. Do you do you want to go ahead and explain this reference to Cyprian here? Who is that? What what's that about? Well, I, I don't know a ton about Cyprian other than that he was an early uh, bishop of, of Carthage, according to some notes that I, I have. And, and Luther here, uh, you know, references some of the early church work uh, or the early church stuff that's happening. Um, and to, to make the point that this this idea that the Pope um, is the head of the church doesn't show up early on. When you look at the early ecumenical councils, that is the, the church councils, um, that were worldwide um, in the early history of the church, you don't see this uh, primacy of the Pope. You see the other bishops of other important cities around the empire um, addressing him as brother, um, even even some lower bishops being elevated to places of importance. And so Luther makes an argument there from church history to say, look, this hasn't always been this way. Um, so if you're going to claim this as doctrine, you, you're on a very uh, shaky foundation. 
All right. Uh, I am understanding that we're having technical difficulties there, and you probably may not uh, have had difficulty understanding Pastor Apple. I only caught a, a few words in there myself, um, but uh, I'm sure because Pastor Apple is so good that he was right on target <laughs> with, with the, what we were looking for there. Um, but uh, so, so just in case that you, uh, as we try to work out these technical difficulties uh, here today, sorry about that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so Cyprian is a reference to the early church um, and how that, you know, for, for a long time, uh, there, there really was no um, pope, as it were, as we understand it today, or as it was even at the time of the Middle Ages, and and what it was was basically, you know, th- there were all pastors in all areas that were that were all bishops, and and they were, you know, the, you know, they might have some order to them, as yeah, um, but they were all of equal ground, equal footing, and so forth, and uh, it wasn't really, um, uh, well, it was most notable noticeable in uh, the. Um, Council of Nicaea uh, at 325, where, you know, all these bishops would come together at the councils, uh, especially the early church councils, and they they would all kind of listen to one another, uh, present their theological uh, points, and and they would work together um, to to arrive at what what is true teaching for the church. And uh, and, and so that's a reference to the to um, what's going on there in the early church that um, essentially what they're saying is, you know, really not just to Nicaea in 325, but for the first 500 years of the church, there was no pope. Uh, maybe even later than that, definitely by 1054, you start to see, um, you know, kind of the, the pope uh, in Rome, you know, kind of gaining control over the other bishops and, and uh, uh, attaining to the supremacy over the whole church that then requires them to submit to the pope in Rome. Uh, an interesting pope of Rome, uh, also one of the titles for the office of the papacy, um, wasn't even present at Nicaea in 325. Uh, but by 1054, um, they had come together, and, and this was w- was an issue. And then that's where we actually see the Eastern Church break off. And one of the reasons that they cite, we've cited one of the previous shows, uh, you know, this uh, this Latin word, the filioque, which shows up in the creed, you know, and the Son, uh, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, so that was one of the reasons that they cited. But then, um, you know, certainly from there then too, uh, and, and by 1054, one of the reasons the Eastern Church pulled off was because they weren't going to submit to this bishop in Rome, and, and they uh, had real issues with the kind of seizing of this control here. So uh, I'm sure what Pastor Apple said was even better <laughs> than my my attempt to try and re-explain it there. Uh, sorry for these technical difficulties. Uh, and I was going to say, while we're having our own issues, we'll uh, take a break and be right back, and we'll see if we can resolve those issues, the technical ones. We can't resolve all the <laughs> theological ones, but we're going to see if we can resolve those during a break. Join us in uh, two minutes. We'll be right back. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. 
When communism fell in the former Soviet Union, it was an exciting time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had long been denied the faith. This is Reverend Robert Ron, founder of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. It's been 25 years since LHF began translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith for the people of Russia. With your help, LHF continues our work of introducing new believers to the Savior in nearly 90 countries. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, inviting you to join us for Issues Etc. weekday afternoons from 3 to 5. Issues Etc. is a live call-in show with a two-fold purpose. We defend and teach the truths rediscovered during the Reformation, grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone, and we challenge today's postmodern culture with its unbiblical ideology. Issues Etc. live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Thousands of years ago, a story began. I am. I am. A story that will never end, because this is the story of God's love for us. He has risen. He is alive. Welcome to the Lamplighter Classic Audio Series. You are there. Now, you can enjoy this Lamplighter Classic, You Are There, together as a family. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Amy Carmichael died on January 18, 1951. She was known for her Christian poetry, hundreds of poems, many of which were written to honor and edify the children of India. She was a Protestant missionary in India for more than five decades, rescuing thousands of girls and young women from forced prostitution. In 1901, she founded an orphanage and a mission the Donover Fellowship, an organization helping children even today. Her poetry and writings were filled with biblical themes and references to remind herself of the motivation for serving others. Love, the truest, deepest kind of love, gives and goes on giving. And quoting Paul from Acts 20.35, she wrote, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Read the Bible. Engage in this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters. And today we continue to work through the small called articles, hopefully in the second half of the show here without technical difficulties as there have been real difficulties keeping us in different locations here today. But uh, uh, we have our usual cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians and in studio there who is just saving us and helping us out as he works <laughs> with Stephanie on the board there. Layman Peter Slayton, who's the social media manager for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And then we have via phone today, uh, Pastor Peter Ill. He's coming to us from his office there at Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois. I assume it's his office. I don't know where he's at. He could be. Is. driving down the road okay all right and then uh, also coming from his office but that's in smithville texas is pastor timothy apple the pastor of grace lutheran church and i'm coming to you from my office i am pastor sean smith uh pastor of emmanuel and st paul's dual parish in southern illinois so we're we're all over the place we can't see each other today we're having technical difficulties this is a rough show uh but uh it's kind of unfortunate because this this is as i said in the first half a, a really provocative kind of thing that that has been 
very scandalous for a lot of Lutherans when they find out, you know, because unfortunately most Lutherans don't even read the Book of Concord or the Lutheran Confessions and, and know what they say, and so then they're kind of caught off guard. As I set up in the first half of the show, we had a U.S. senator who famously was caught off guard with, uh, they threw at her when she was running for president. Uh, uh, this is Michelle Bachman, by the way, uh, in 2006 in a debate. You know, they said, well, what do you say to the Catholics who, who uh, you know, uh, you're a Lutheran, and and in your Lutheran confessions, it, you call the the Pope the Antichrist. You know what do you say to the Catholics uh, that that would vote for you otherwise? And she was caught off guard by that. She left her Lutheran church, and she belonged to the Wisconsin uh, Synod. Um, but uh, th- th- I've I've seen others that get very scandalized when they they understand that we actually contain these words, uh, harsh though they may sound. Um, so that, I'd actually uh, like to comment on that ahead. one in particular because yeah. I think that my my comment about different ways of viewing the Antichrist, I think that particular situation is is a very interesting one because y- there's actually different ways that Christians look at who the Antichrist is or what the Antichrist is. And American evangelicalism has a very particular view um, coming from, I'm going to use big words now, and Pastor Ill is going to ask me what they mean, and I'm going to let him define them, and then I'm going to continue talking. Premillennial dispensationalism. (laughs) Pastor Ill, what is that? And then I'm going to talk about that. The idea of pre, premillennial dispensationalism is that before the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, people are taken uh, in a uh, in a rapture. Christian people are taken in a rapture, and uh, then there is a a time of tribulation uh, or a struggle uh, where when the world is left without uh, without Christians in it. Uh, there's a chance for people to come to faith, but there's also a great deal of struggling that goes on. And following that, then Jesus uh, comes again uh, and has a uh, has a time of judgment and reigns for a thousand years. For the record, though, this is not something that we believe, teach, and confess. Right. The, we would actually consider this to be a false theology. Scripture does not teach this. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is because when Michelle Bachman is asked that that question, or she's thrown, you know, the hey, your your church says the Pope is the Antichrist. Most of American Christians who hear that. Think of the Antichrist in very particular terms of premillennial dispensationalism, which says that during that seven years of tribulation of the really hard times, there is one super evil, awful ruler who will rise up. The Antichrist is one individual who will rule the entire world for on behalf of Satan and and will be dominating everything and that person is the antichrist and there's only one of them and it's it's just that one and when you talk about antichrist in scripture there's just that one that's his role that's what he does so when michelle bachman gets thrown this question of well your church says the pope is the antichrist almost everybody hearing that is saying whoa 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 you lutherans say that the pope is going to be this evil, awful ruler who rules on behalf of Satan for seven years over the tribulation and is like doing doing all this nasty evil stuff and he's got the beast alongside him and the beast is another person who's like his right hand man and I think there's the false prophet. There's like there's an unholy trinity basically. So we have to keep in mind that's actually not at all what we are talking about when we say 
Antichrist. We actually define Antichrist very differently. Now, there may be some common elements, some common things between those two different types of people in that they're sitting in the place of Christ. But I think one of the reasons this question blows everybody up, whoa, you Lutherans say the Pope is the Antichrist, is because almost everybody who hears that is thinking the Left Behind series. They're thinking how Lindsay, the late great planet Earth back in the 70s, which is the precursor to the Left Behind series. They're thinking, um, I wish we'd all been ready, you know, that that kind of stuff. And that's not, we're, we're literally not talking about any of that. <laughs> None of that explains or d- talks about what we say when we're talking about the Pope being the Antichrist. We're talking about something very different. That's a good point. Uh, I, I want to put on hold this this talk of the Antichrist, though, because there's some other things to get before we actually call him uh, the the office of the Pope, uh, the Antichrist or in Christ. Um, and so we'll, we'll we'll flush that out more. And so thank Great. you for for talking to that, especially in connection with me bringing up uh, Michelle Bachman getting caught off guard. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and read here uh, through paragraph. Six and uh, just to give Pastor Apple forewarning, I know that he has uh, some thoughts on some things that we see in here, and and especially in in this idea of investigating is this true? This case that we're making and building here, um, and especially in accordance with their teaching. So I'm going to throw it to you after I I am done reading Pastor Apple. So get ready. But picking up here with paragraph four and part two of the small call to articles, Article Four of the Papacy. For there stand all the Pope's bulls and books. Uh, their post bulls means just the things that he writes, the papal bulls. Uh, it's uh, documents that are put yeah, out. Yeah, bull is a word for document, not yes. like, you know, bovine creatures with horns that you ride on top of in a rodeo. Although it would be more cool if it were. Um, <laughs> yeah, There's his bulls in his books. Ooh, sweet. Can you back read the books while you ride the bulls? I like this. Back to, back to the reading. Aww. He roars like a lion, also not a, a, a real lion here, uh, in them as an angel in revelation. Revelation 12 depicts him, crying out that no Christian can be saved without obeying him and being subject to him in all that he wishes, says, and does. Oh, there's a strong claim we're going to have to investigate. I highlighted that one. All of this amounts to nothing less than this. Although you believe in Christ and have in him alone everything you need for salvation, yet it is nothing and all in vain unless you regard me as your God, small g there, and be subject and obedient to me. It is clear that the Holy Church has been without the Pope for over 500 years at least. To this day, the churches of the Greeks and of many other languages neither have been nor are presently under the Pope. Besides, as is often remarked, the papacy is a human invention that is not commanded and is not necessary but useless. The Holy Christian Church can exist very well without such a head. It would certainly have remained pure if such a head had not been raised up by the devil. The papacy is also of no use in the church because it exercises no Christian office. Therefore, it is necessary for the church to continue and to exist without the Pope. All right, as I said, some strong claims in there, but let's investigate it. Is this true, this claim that we're making, that this is the the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope's? Pastor Apple, take it away. How's my audio? Good so Very far. Soft. I don't want to. I don't want to say good. anything profound again without being heard. You You're know? great. You sound <laughs> oh, wonderful. Be, oh, be profound. It wasn't, it wasn't profound earlier, anyways. So, <laughs> so. Well, it better yeah, be now because you sound great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
So it, these are pretty strong claims here, and, and I, I don't know about about you or our listeners, but but you hear things like this, and and I, I think we often imagine, you know, sure, there are differences in in various Christian denominations, but they can't be all that bad, right? I mean, these are these are the thoughts I think that that go through the minds of of many, and so we we read you know these paragraphs here, and, and we wonder. Is there any way that that they could teach something that that sounds so egregious that no Christian could be uh, saved apart from the the Pope? And and when you begin to investigate, you find out that yes, in in official Roman Catholic doctrine, these things have been said and have never been repented of. Uh, so, for example, you know, thinking of of things that Luther would have had in mind, in 1302 there was a papal bull uh, that went by the name Unum Sanctum, which those are just the, the first Latin words of this document put out by the Pope. Uh, it was Pope Boniface VIII who stated this, I quote, We declare, say, define, and pronounce that it is altogether necessary to salvation for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff, end quote. You know, Roman pontiff is just another word, another way of saying Pope. Um, here you have a very clear declaration that there is no salvation possible apart from the Pope. There's no mention of Christ in that at all. And yet, this is what was being taught officially in Luther's day. Um, still today, you can, you can look up the Catechism of the Catholic Church online, and, and you can read this in, in that document. Again, I quote, The Pope, Bishop of Rome, and Peter's successor, is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity, both of the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church, has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. That's really strong language about the power that the Pope has, the authority that the Pope has. And again, there's absolutely no mention of Christ there. Um, the, the thing that Luther started off with, that, that the one who is head of the church is no, no pastor, no bishop, no pope, no layperson. It is Christ alone. And, and Rome, in its official doctrine, flatly contradicts that. And, and so, although these are shocking claims to read, they are, in fact, true. And it's a good reminder uh, for all of our listeners today that, that when looking at a congregation or a church body, it's important to take a look at what does this church really teach. Don't be fooled by outward appearances. Don't don't make assumptions. But what does this church really teach? And and compare that to the Word of God. Is it the same thing? If it is, cling to that truth because that truth will give you Christ. But if it doesn't teach the Word of God, be very very careful because it can lead you astray. That's a really good point, and also speaks to the irony that I mentioned earlier in the show, too, about, uh, you know, how there's this idea, again, I usually hear LCMS Lutheran say it about ourselves, that, you know, uh, we think we're the only ones in heaven, but actually, according to the official teachings, if you if you dig below the surface and look at what they actually say and write, that is what the Roman Catholic Church says, especially in relation to the Pope, that, you know, you have to be subject to him um, and, and to back that up, they make this claim, you know, you, you had there in, in your quotes, they make this claim that he's, he's the successor of Peter. They're referencing St. Peter. And so we're, we're going to throw it to another Peter, Pastor Ill, uh, Pastor Peter Ill, uh, to, to talk about what, what's that reference all about? What, what is this reference to being the successor of Peter? Why is that a thing? And it, is that true? Is that a true claim? Uh, the tradition used by the Roman Catholic Church to talk about this 
says that Peter, being the one of the main spokesmen for the apostles, especially at Pentecost, and continuing from there, um, also Peter, who uh, confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the one having the words of eternal life, was also then made pope uh, or leader of the disciples, a um, I guess a a more equal disciple who uh, would serve as their leader by Jesus when he said, uh, no longer will I call you um, Simon, son of Jonah, but now uh, I will call you Peter. And on this rock, uh, the Greek word there for rock is Petra, I will build my church. we understand the the rock that Christ's church to build that is built on as the rock of faith, but uh, many Roman Catholics take this to mean that uh, at that point Jesus is installing Peter as the first pope. The historical record, though, is really kind of shaky about the history of the papacy in the first 500 years of the church. And it it becomes kind of problematic. But the idea that Peter was the first pope, and since he was the the head pastor or the bishop in Rome, uh, the idea that the the head pastor, bishop in Rome, is the uh, head pastor over all of Christ's church, continued to rise up and continued to be believed until uh, the 1500s, uh, and uh, and by Roman Catholics today. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing. I mean, we, we could just do a whole exegetical taking a look at Scripture and what it has to say about all of this, just on that issue of, is uh, Peter, um, you know, the... the the true bishop uh, set up by Christ himself of the the church on earth uh, and thus his successors. I mean, we could just take a look at Scripture, but just very briefly, though, if, if we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, not only I like what you highlighted there in talking about, you know, upon this rock, you know, this uh, Petra, uh, th- this confession is uh, or the church is built upon that confession uh, that is made there. Um, but, uh, you know, we would also use other parts of Scripture, namely where where Jesus is constantly exhorting his disciples not to uh, aspire to positions of lordship over others. And and this is certainly referenced in Second Corinthians uh, where this is. At one point he takes a, a child and places it in the midst of them as they're bickering with one another, and he says, you got to be humble like this little child uh, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things that we could bring into this discussion if we were looking at just that issue. Um, but uh, and, and there's certainly a lot that could be said on that. Uh, I don't want to go too far astray, but I do think that it is important that we highlight this point here, that as they, they are saying, um, you know, that uh, as you pointed to Pastor L quite well there, that, uh, you know, uh, going back, he was the, the bishop of Rome. Um, but but as we've already cited and as Luther points to here, uh, that wasn't really the case for 500 years. It kind of became a, a later case um, looking back at, you know, yes, Peter was kind of the, the, the first bishop of Rome. Um, but uh, and then they try to connect in scripture there to build this point. Um, but, you know, it, it was an equal share of bishops. Um, in the church that would gather together in councils. Uh, we see this even in the council uh, gathering together in Jerusalem early on, um, that uh, 
you know, this would have been the case, that there would have been a share of this. And it supports what Jesus constantly teaches and exhorts, that they not ex- exhort uh, lordship over one another, uh, but that they uh, be of one mind, the mind of Christ, right? That's the whole idea behind our show here, uh, and make uh, a faithful confession. So uh, that, that's an important point. Anything else to say before we move on here? I was just say the one the money comment for me as as we're moving on here we haven't gotten to the word antichrist being used in our reading yet but we're we're leading up to it and I just want to remind our listeners once again here here is where this is going here's where this is coming from is when the pope is crying out that no christian can be saved without obeying him and being subject to him in all that he wishes says and does and pastor apple covered the historical you know, how that, the historical outgrowth of that very well, but I just want to remind us, okay, once again, this is why we are going to get to the conclusion that we're going to get to here. Yeah, it's right there in black and white in their writings, in the official teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, and still is today. So it's not just something we're making up, uh, which is what I think is behind that whole idea that Lutherans seem to think that we're the only ones in heaven. I've never met anyone who actually has actually thought that, and it's certainly not in black and white writing anywhere in the Lutheran confessions. So uh, let's just compare apples to apples here and say they have it in their writings. We don't. All right. All right. Back to uh, this, though. Uh, let, let's get paragraph seven and eight here. And I, I just may make a brief point there and then continue on. So picking up paragraph seven of part two of the small called articles, article four of the papacy. Suppose that the Pope would yield this point. He would not be supreme by divine right or God's command. But just because we need a head to whom all the rest cling in order to preserve the unity of Christians against sects and heretics. Suppose that such a head were chosen, and that people had the choice and the power to change or remove this head. The Council of Constance nearly adopted this course with reference to the Pope's deposing three and electing a fourth. Suppose I say that the Pope and see at Rome would yield and accept this, though this is impossible, for they would have to let this entire realm and estate be overthrown and destroyed with all his rights and books, which, to put it briefly, he cannot do. Nevertheless, even if this were done, Christianity would not be helped, but many more sects would arise than before. People would have to be subject to this head, not from God's command, but from their personal good pleasure. Such a head would easily and in a short time be despised, and finally not have any members. The head would not have to be forever confined to Rome or any other place. It might be wherever and in whatever church God would grant a man fit for the office. Oh, how complicated and confused that would be. Well, maybe not a brief point, because maybe, maybe we could actually see this in other denominations where such things work but but he kind of points out here that we we do we seem to be at an impasse here if the if the papists that is the roman catholic church concede anything then their whole system collapses uh i mean just everything comes down in on itself if they if they concede that christ really is the the center, uh, the focus, the the only way of salvation, uh, and that the Pope is just merely a humanly created uh, institution, which is necessary for the sake of good order. And I think he makes a good point here that, you know, to to defend against the heretics and the sectarian spirit that's out there and so forth, there, there is some benefit in this structure that um, the church uh, has. But uh, if they concede that point, uh, that, that it's just that, then, then you know, their entire system collapses and they have real issues with things that have been 
have been written and said and, uh, you know, attributed to the power of the Pope. Uh, but yet neither can we yield, because if we do, we lose the gospel itself. And that's that's been the point from the beginning here. And so this we seem to be at an impasse here, uh, but uh, a very important impasse. Uh, any any notes on that, brothers? Just jump in if, uh, if, if someone wants to jump in here. Well, I, I think I can say, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think this has actually happened. Christianity would not be helped reading the last sentence in seven, but many more sects would arise than before. Well, that's kind of the where we find ourselves with all the different denominations, all the different groups. You know, once you lost the one Christian and apostolic, one Catholic apostolic church in the visible there it is over there sense, kind of everybody decided they were their own authorities and you have all these divisions happening. So you, it, it actually did happen. And a lot of those have lost the gospel in, in that process as well. And so it's like, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's that's kind of where we sit right now. What do we do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we can, you know, as I'm looking at the time here, maybe we don't actually have time to get into much more of the Antichrist <laughs> talk. Um, but, uh, um, the, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit here about some of the, the contemporary applications, issues, temptations to this um, that, that are going on, um, you know, well, and I'm just going to read one more paragraph, and then and then we'll we'll definitely talk about this more. So, picking up paragraph nine, the church can never be better governed and preserved than if we all live under one head, Christ. All the bishops should be equal in office, although they may be unequal in gifts. They should be diligently joined in unity of doctrine, faith, sacraments, prayer, works of love, and such. According to Saint Jerome, this is how the priests at Alexandria governed the churches together and in common. So did the apostles, and afterward all the bishops throughout all Christendom, until the Pope raised his head above all. So he, he's building on that point here that, you know, he, he the Pope has gradually seized all of this power, but that's not the way it's intended to be governed according to Scripture. Um, you know, we, we are to have one head, and that is Christ, and we are to follow under that. And, and yet we, we do see this division with all the different uh, denominations and breakouts there, and it's because we lack unity on that faithful teaching of doctrine, faith, sacraments, prayers, works of love, those sorts of things, right? These are the things that divide us, and, and, and it's important that we be divided I'm going to say, if if we don't have that common confession. And so wh- wh- what what's the issue here? Uh, Pastor Apple, Pastor Ill, one in you two minutes. In? Yeah, go ahead and, and give <laughs> us what, what, what are some contemporary applications, temptations here? One, I think the one biggest... application. Go ahead, Pastor, go ahead. Apple. Okay, Pastor, Pastor Apple. Apple. Oh. All right. So one, one application has to do with this. That first sentence of paragraph nine, I think, is, is just of huge importance. The church can can never be better governed uh, or preserved than if we all live under one head Christ. The temptation for all of us in the church is to create an idol, uh, to look for, for a savior who's, who's other than Christ. If only we have the right pastor, if only we have the right leader, then everything will be okay, um, as, as if that leader is someone other than Christ. And, and of course, it's very important to have a faithful pastor and to have faithful lay people in the church. But if we place our hope in those people, then, then we're placing our hope in the wrong place. We must uh, let Christ be our head, and together as as pastor and people, follow him. Or if we have pastor the right Earl, congregational polity. Pastor Earl, go. One minute. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges is that of 
the uh, the sinful nature, where each and every person wants to place their authority and their definition for faithfulness, and, and quite honestly, what the Church is, uh, in their own image. And so to look to a human figure to fill that hole, or to look to oneself, or to look to not having a human figure to fill that to fill that hole, because at the end of the day, trusting in Jesus and having faith in Jesus is something that our sinful selves don't want to do. And ultimately, the root cause, no matter where you fall in relationship to the papacy, comes down to, are you trying to replace Jesus with something or someone else? Amen to that. Put not your trust in princes, as Scripture exhorts us, but that includes the Pope, that includes your pastor. Only put your trust in Christ, and anyone who faithfully confesses and teaches the Word of God, then you can certainly listen to them and, and give thanks to God for them, uh, as you should with your faithful pastor. But uh, we put not our trust in them and, and not their secular authority or their rule and lordship, but in Jesus Christ alone. And that's how it relates back to the chief article of our Christian faith, the article which the church stands and falls on, the article of the gospel, our justification through Jesus Christ alone. That has been the confession of the Lutheran Church, continues to be, and anything else is an antichrist that stands against Christ. Thanks for stopping by today, and until next time, keep confessing, church.